Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. I'm so delighted to introduce to you our guests today. They are Damien McAllister, Chief People Officer at Ulster University, and Ayan Saeed, founder of Voicing Voices, an organisation that embeds intersectional inclusivity into its clients' culture, policy and community. Now, in this episode, we'll be discussing how employers can create a human-centred approach to people in the workplace. But what does that actually mean? And what things are businesses doing well? And crucially, where do improvements need to be made? Damien, Ian, it's so lovely to have you in the podcast studio today. Welcome to The Lens. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here and lovely to meet you, Anne. Okay, well, we're really excited about this. Damien, I'm going to start with you. You've been at Ulster University for a number of years now, but you've also served in roles within government and indeed in the health sector. If you could just tell everybody about your journey and what that's been like to now being Chief People Officer at Ulster University. Okay, thanks, sir. I suppose my career journey started in 1987 when I didn't get the A-level grades I wanted. So university at that stage was not an option for me. So I went straight into the world of work and was fortunate enough to get into the Northern Ireland Civil Service. And I had uh, 18 really happy years there servicing in various government departments. And I suppose in many ways, you know, working in a public sector kind of gave me a lens to, you know, not only enact uh, good people approach towards customers of the the public sector, but gave me a lens that not everybody's as, as, as well advantaged as each other. I really kind of got bitten by the public sector bug and wanting to do good for people through government policy and acting change. And that led me then to, in 2005, join the health service in Northern Ireland. And I joined what was then the Royal Group of Hospitals and then became the Belfast Trust. I've always been kind of brought up to believe there are two things you rightfully should expect, health and education. Um, and now with the most recent job I've got, I've been able to tick both those boxes. And then I got that stage, late 40s, early 50s, thought to myself, I've got one more career move in me. So should I make it a career change or stick within the health service and opportunity came to work in higher education and I decided it'd be nice to see what universities were like from the point of view of being a member of staff and I have to say um, my biggest regret probably was not joining the university sector sooner because it's heartening to see how education empowers and unleashes people and I love attending our graduations occur twice a year because you're able to sit in the audience and look out to an mature graduates leaving the university with qualifications under their belt. Some of our alumni from the university are really change makers across the world. And that's what we want to do. We want to create good citizens as a university. So it's a great place to be. I love it. Ian, I want to find out a little bit, first of all, about you. And also, if you could share what Voicing Voices is, an organisation that you founded. Yes. Um, and Damien, thank you so much for everything you shared. Um, and to have, you know, the first career I was meant to go into was nursing. So I was raised in Tower Hamlets, one of seven siblings. My sister's in the healthcare space, and that was the path I was meant to go on as a first-generation graduate. And I went into nursing, but I fell in love with the science. So I did biomedical sciences, and I loved that so much, but I was a people's person. Education for me was my saviour and the tool that my 
mother instilled in us as a migrant family that just survived um, a conflict on war zone. So for me, education was really instilled in me from a young age as the way that I can really redesign or redefine my path and journey in life, regardless of the um, disadvantages that we've had. And so when I completed my degree, I went into education teaching. I was a science teacher for seven years wow. up until 2020. And it was the most incredible experience ever being in the public sector. I, I used to interpret for local Somali moms in, at the Royal London Hospital just to provide them because I saw the disproportionate impact of the healthcare and I saw the trauma young people going through. I saw the trauma that we didn't deal with as the previous generation. And I really felt that there was a massive disconnect. So I just used my community work and my teaching to try to create change. But I felt that especially when COVID happened and 2020 came and I was looking at a change of career and I realized I needed to focus on the systems. It wasn't just about the education or the healthcare, but a collective system. It was unwiring. So that's when I went into UCL and did my master's around education and international development. And that's when Voice and Voices came. It was like, okay, how can I do that in a place where I felt safe, where I didn't have to go through workplace discrimination or limitations, where I could celebrate all my ideas and all my creativity and innovate and make change that was impactful. And I felt this, uh, the fact that if I was exposed to this when I was younger, exactly what you were saying, I wish I started sooner. And in 2019, One Young World was that change just before COVID was my first time I was exposed to One Young World and that space. And to see all these leaders on that stage sharing and saying, you can be the change makers that we need. You can be the generation that can change. It felt like I wasn't working in silo, that there was a whole world out there that was ready to engage, that was ready to really go beyond lip service, beyond all the history and suffering, but really look at an optimistic way forward. And I really resonate with a lot of the things you said, Damien, and that's what we're trying to accomplish with Voice and Voices across every system. I'm talking about from mining and Africa to the UN and our sustainable development goals to our local cultures and governments and communities. How can we voice our voices and no longer be restricted to narratives that we all inherited? Mm. Yeah. And I love the purpose. I love that we can change all of this. I love the confidence. (laughs) And if I could ask you, you know, where did that confidence come from? Did people feel that confidence? Were they behind you or was it a lonely journey for a while? It was a very very, very lonely journey. It was a traumatizing journey because, and I just want anyone that's listening in and that's starting an idea or starting a vision or going against the grain, you would be made to feel crazy (laughs) and you would be made to second guess yourself and you would be made to feel you don't belong. And the first cause that I started with was gender-based violence coming from war and witnessing women in conflict zones going through what they're going through and seeing the disadvantages women of colour faced when we had George Floyd and the conversations around Black Lives Matter when we and beyond what was being trending, I'm a scientist. So I had to go through the research and seeing the statistics and the disproportionate impact. It was a very close call to me. So I just went full on head on into the deep end and taught myself as much as I can on how to do this because I couldn't see representation. I couldn't see a pathway. All of this was just a feeling. 
So when I went into that summit at the One Young World, that feeling was like affirmed. So that community and that space really drove me. And so I resigned from a career that I've had my whole life. And 2020 came and I had to deal with COVID and everything. But here we are three years on meeting amazing people and doing this work. I feel very fortunate. I feel very, very fortunate. I read a very grand title about Voicing Voices, an organisation that embeds intersectional inclusivity into its clients' culture, policy and community. Can you tell us what that means? It means humanising systems. It's saying come as you are and we cannot look at things from a one-dimensional perspective. We are multidimensional and all the things that we've been told make us different are a negative. That when you ask, the reason it was a lonely journey was because I was saying, rather than you telling me, this isn't a pity story. I don't come from, I come from a place of strength. I've come from a place of power. My mother, she's phenomenal and she's made to believe her intersectionality disadvantages her, but we're adding value. When you have diverse people from diverse backgrounds and voices, it's an asset. It increases, if we look at business, it increases profits by 36%. That's no small feat. So this is something positive. It's not always a pretty picture because I don't focus on race or gender. Now it's more focusing on the actual systems and how they've been designed and saying, well, the reason they're not working is they've been designed from a one-dimensional lens. But let's redesign it from our individual, internally, our mindsets. How do we redesign that from an intersectional perspective and accepting all of us from our communities? And when we engage with one another, how do we say, it's okay, that's your opinion. What were your lived experiences for you to come to that? So I can understand who you are beyond what I am seeing. And I think that's where we can have sustainability. And again, Damien, when you mentioned that, I was clicking my fingers, yes, because or else we're just going to go around in circles. We've seen history repeat over and over and over again. And we're witnesses to that. But now we've got things like technology, AI. We've got so much more access and tools that we can use to really shift things. And we can't do that from the sidelines. We need to get in. And it's one thing, isn't it, Damien, working for an organization who thinks by ticking a lot of boxes that we're doing things really well. But as Ian said, it's the data. It's talking to people. It's that human centric approach. Yeah. I mean, and it requires organizations to feel uncomfortable and face up to some home truths as well to yeah, get absolutely. right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I actually, I mean, I, I, I'm hugely inspired by what you said, Anne. It's, it's, and, and likewise, it ticked a lot of my boxes, what you were saying. I mean, when you talked about humanizing systems, I just think that's a fantastic phrase to be able to use because that's what, what this really has to be about. I mean, I, I think that we've got to become more comfortable at being uncomfortable, uh, because I think we are all too often, um, you know, we, we kind of want to live in paradigms of our own reality, when in reality, we should be really thinking about how other people are and what other people's perceptions are, because that's their reality. And inclusivity is hugely important in that respect, because when I came to the university, um, if I had went out to the university and asked any member of staff, can you tell us what the university's values are? They really would have struggled to come up with what the words were in the strategy that are supposed to be our values. So we set about actually defining new values for the organization, but we almost threw the ball to the staff and said, you come up with them. You tell us what it is that you want this, you know, to be employed as an employee within this organization to feel like for you. And they come up with what I often consider as human values. I mean, there's no surprise in them. It's that, you know, the four values of the university are integrity 
collaboration, enhancing potential and inclusion. What we found within the university, there was a lot of people who just didn't feel they fitted in because they were a bit different. And actually, now that we've strengthened inclusion as a value, uh, we have very clearly defined that we want people to come and be themselves and just give their best. And we will enhance their potential. We will ensure that they collaborate in teams so that they can feel more included and that they'll be treated with an integrity that's just honest and fair. And I think what that has happened for us as a result is I think now people now have affinity with the values and they actually have almost skin in the game. You know, they feel that the university means something more to them. And, you know, I think if we go out now and repeat that question of, do you know what the values are? We recently had a a pulse survey completed in the organization and 91% of our staff said they knew what the organization's values were. And we were really pleased with that. But actually, it's built up a momentum for us now because, you know, people openly talk about inclusion, you know, and we've got now four staff and student networks that we didn't have before we created the values. And they are to that point of intersectionality as networks really connected themselves with each other around gender, disability and ethnicity and sexual orientation to try and help overcome intersectionality issues that people face. And, you know, I, I'm thinking now, are we a better place for it? Absolutely. So, Ian, I think Damien has demonstrated how he's built this really human-centered approach in work by giving ownership, I suppose, to people really to d- define those values. Is that something that you would be promoting as well? I think that's a fa- one of the key pillars. It's such a huge, huge pillar because one of the reasons I transitioned to becoming a social entrepreneur and having that independence is that agency and that ability to take ownership and that's where sustainability again we keep the way sustainability is always situated into that whole only the environment element to it but there's so many levels to what sustainability actually means and how we can utilize exactly as you said Damien people's experiences and views and honesty and transparency to build um, giving them that agency to build alongside co-creation is a huge part of what we do at Voicing Voices. I never, we never like as a community team come in and say, well, this is what you need because this is X, Y, Z. And when we're facilitating and teaching or I've seen it in workplaces where I come in and say, you all have the answers. You're all intersectional. You're, I'm not bringing in a concept that's outside of you so it's really giving people the agency to tap into who they are and that's why we said to champion inclusion you need to humanize systems just very quickly on the back of what i'm saying there one of the things i mentioned about our four staff and student networks and and as much of it was about creating the allyship because people felt quite isolated and through allyship we've seen people really come out of themselves you know in terms of being able to feel uh, more empowered more enhanced, more enabled and more engaged. And actually, we have seen our staff and our students now more empowered to be able to be, you know, brave. But people need to have coverage to be brave in organisations because of where we've come from. Because in the past, you know, people are still reticent about maybe declaring their sexual orientation or declaring a disability. But the only reason they are is because of the consequence they fear might happen to them. But if you work in an organisation or can create an organisation with a culture as such that it's a just culture, then people will feel a little bit more brave about being able to do that. And that's where allyship is really important because it's it's kind of shown if a peer can do it, why can't I? I know in Northern Ireland, it's a post-troubled society where we didn't talk openly, 
But it is about so, that psychological safety. And, and that's another buzzword that we're hearing a lot. But is it, how important is that, Ayan? Um, That's my first core value. I've really since 2016 and since I've really decided to commit on this pathway and this vision and journey, even though Voice and Voices was officially founded in 2020, I feel like I've been on that journey, both in voicing my own voice and those around me, that it's it's um, safety has, I've been able to be self-aware and understand what makes me feel safe and not feel safe and also how I react and respond. And that's why behavioral change is also part of our framework. What triggers behaviors, whether it's the trauma, whether it's the environment, whether it's the learner and the teacher, like what is causing different triggers to make people feel unsafe or safe. And I think that's the beauty of what Damien was saying on really creating that burst of creating that safe space to get people to feel comfortable with the uncomfortable, to feel comfortable with and say it and speaking. Because if you don't voice to voice and you don't speak out, you're going to be stuck in that unsafety and you're going to be stuck in your creativity and be able to come out. You won't have innovation. You won't have people um, being authentic and sharing actual real things that matter to them because they're so fearful Another uh, buzzword or a, ter- a term rather that we're hearing so much in the HR world or the people world now is diversity and inclusion. And I know I am, that's not a term that sits quite well with you. Why? My lived experiences with race and discrimination that I faced in the workplace, where things were limited in the education space when I was teaching these young people where over 50% of our youth live in poverty in Tower Hamlets. And the teachers that were being hired weren't aware of their lived experiences. And I saw the same case when I was in Africa. I saw the same case when I was in the Middle East. But when I really went into the workplaces and the spaces and I tried to understand why we didn't see people as assets and why we saw these as, you know, it was even more triggering for you to accept me because of my intersection, these intersectional facts. You're not seeing me as a human being then. So when this, it was just very triggering for me because your diversity and inclusion doesn't mean that. You're so focused on having different people that are coming from different backgrounds, but we didn't feel included. So what's the point of having us in that space and wasting everyone's time to be very frank with you? Like, I don't like to sugarcoat things like that because they're so deep, but that's why intersectionality is the answer. Intersectionality says you're very, it's not, you can be diverse, but if there's no sense of belonging, you don't have inclusion. So it's one thing talking the talk, but as you say, you've got to be demonstrating, not labeling, not seeing people as problems and where we're fixing the problem. These are assets. Damien. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think at times we throw out the words equality, diversity and inclusion too easily. And, you know, I, I, personally always believe that you know true inclusion in and of itself delivers diversity and makes people equal and that's what you want you want people to be treated consistently and fairly regardless of where they come from and, and who they are or what their views are or, 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 or what their ethnic background is or whatever and I do think that um you know it's been a, a huge change for us and now you know we've got such a a, a multicultural background uh living you know and studying and working within our, our 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 cities and our towns it's fantastic because I mean in the last year I've been at a Diwali festival I've been at a number of Muslim festivals that we've celebrated with staff and students in the organization and it's really broadened my understanding and knowledge of uh you know the backgrounds that people have we have a prayer room that we built in our new Belfast campus. It's now, I mean, you can't get into it on a Friday now for prayer because, you know, there's so many people from a Muslim background, um, you know, that aren't just, um, 
Nigerian or they aren't Pakistani or, or whatever. They're from here as well. So, you know, it's fantastic to see that. And it just kind of, it kind of makes us lift, lift our eyebrows slightly and think differently about things. And I think that's a real positive, but there are things that we still have to address within society that I think, you know, about tolerance and about acceptance. And that's, that's why I think we as a university have a huge job of working that because the graduates that we put out from the university, we want them to go out as good citizens, first and foremost. Yes, with an education, but as good citizens. And that means that we want them to be genuinely inclusive in how they think moving forward. And with those small seeds of change, you know, you might find that they influence other people and all of a sudden society does become more inclusive than what it has been. And how do you measure that, Damien? I mean, do you talk to, say, the international students, the overseas students who I know have been coming for many, many years, but are they saying different things? Are people asking them? Do you feel included? I mean, we, we, we've been on a real learning curve with this because in, in Ulster, you know, we, we, we maybe didn't have the number of international students that our colleagues at Queen's University Belfast had, but that is, you know, we've grown significantly over the last uh, couple of admission periods and we now have upwards of 2,000 international students. And our students union have responded to that and they have actually put in an equality officer who last year uh, was a guy, Hamza Chowdhury, Riaz, fantastic student who took a year out from his studies to be really the student's representative on all matters of equality, diversity and inclusion. And he really led from the front. And actually it was the, you know, it's not the survey results that you get back. It's the stories that you listen to, the authenticity you hear from people about their experiences so, I mean, I remember uh, meeting one of our students who um, was African uh, ethnicity, but actually was born and bred in Luton and came to study in Derry. And because she was seen as a GB student, we didn't probably put the hard uh, effort in that we do for international students to make them feel, you know, accommodated and, 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 and welcomed here. And yet she felt different. And it was a real wake up call. I think we need to book Ian to come over and give one of these incredible talks that you, you know, speak around the world at UNESCO, the African Union, the UNGA. I mean, incredible experiences for you from uh, at the beginning that you've had to now be helping shape the future, helping make the world better. Let's just talk a little bit more about we've been hearing examples of best practice, but let's get really specific now for organizations listening who want to do better i am what can companies do better and the systems focusing on that i learned this from the different um, experiences of being in government and being in business and being in schools and really answering that same question of how do we get sustainability and how do we ensure that what we're doing represents um the different backgrounds and the different lived experiences of people so we can again get the best out of them right was again why are we doing what we're doing is to ensure that we get the best out of the people around us and increase human capital and ensure that everyone has a quality of life that makes them fulfilled and purposeful. So how do we create space, safe spaces that allows them to thrive so everyone's winning? And I think the first thing is who's making the decisions, you know, and that's our first number step. If anyone calls us when we're co-creating and so forth and we say, what's your firstly dream big? What's your ultimate space that you want to create for yourself? If you can't see it, you're not going to believe it. If you don't believe it, you can't activate. So number one is visualize the ultimate outcome that you want. Then the next step is how do we collectively work together? So that's why I said who's making the decision. So it's ensuring that everyone that's in the room that sees, sees that vision with you so they can come with you. 
because if they don't have that vision, it's difficult to you can give them all the education, but you won't have capacity building. And that's why our foundation is education plus capacity building by getting everyone to work towards that shared vision. Mm. Uh, and Damien, Ian touched earlier in her answer there about the importance of work-life balance. And, you know, since COVID, obviously, we've been having lots of discussions about do you get back into the office? Can you continue working from home or the hybrid model? What does Ulster University and what do you do to yeah. deal with this? I think in the pre-COVID world, the expectation was everybody was in the office all the time. Um, when actually we found through COVID that people actually could be trusted more to work from home because there was always that sort of can't trust people to work from home previously. And not just Nelson University, I think a lot of employers, you know, manager, management by sight, no, I need my staff in in front of me so that I can see what they're doing. But I think COVID changed that because actually we were able to demonstrate that people could successfully work from home and tasks could be completed from home. So we've embraced that with a flexible and hybrid working framework now for staff, whereby uh, teams can agree you know, how work gets done. And it's more about the outputs, focusing on the outputs of work rather than focusing on the inputs of where it needs to be done or whatever. So we really try to give teams freedom for themselves to settle where and when they do work and how they uh, do the work themselves. And I think one of the things that we've tried to, uh, you know, bestow on the people is that sense of uh, autonomy, that they can make decisions, not for themselves individually, but collectively as teams. Um, and, and, you know, I think that we've stressed the necessity that, being in the office can be good as well. You must have seen incredible changes in all of the time that you've worked in what used to be human resources to uh, now, you know, people. That's the way we yeah, talk about yeah. it. And at one stage, you know, HR was nearly a, oh, just a dirty word. It was dealing yeah. with all the complaints, the tribunals and all sorts of things and hiring and firing. Yeah. And have you changed as a person during well, that time? You're almost making me feel older, sir, because actually I go back to the day when it was personnel, never mind human resources. Personnel, yeah. Personnel, you know, and I mean, and actually, I, I mean, part of the attraction about going for the job in Ulster in 2018 was it was people and culture, which was very different even from human resources as it was then in the trust, because human resources is a terrible phrase, I think, you know, because it describes humans as resources. I mean, they're not you're happy to talk about financial resources, but more importantly, achieving things through people and influencing cultures the way things now get done. So yeah, I have seen huge changes. And and I think one of the biggest changes is now encouraging organizations, including my own, not to be so slavish about policies. You know, so at every policy we create now, we write at the bottom, and if this policy isn't working for you, please let us know. Because actually I think organizations just fixate on policies and they want a policy for everything. When in reality, if we trust people to be of their best and give of their best. And, you know, then actually you tend to find that policies are actually constraining rather than enabling. So I do think that I've seen dramatic changes in the ethos of how people departments think, because it is more now about trying to get the best from and with people by listening to them, as opposed to thinking, let's create the conditions which set down hard parameters and frameworks around policies that actually invariably only ever constrain people. I think you do evolve. I mean, I've always loved managing people and leading people. I mean, that's part of the reason why I ended up probably in human resources or uh, being qualified as a human resource practitioner, but now working in the people space because I love listening to people, talking to people. And I think part of the success that I've maybe developed as a skill is um, probably, you know, becoming a coach was very influential in my regard because it helped me, I think, to understand how to get the best out of people without managing them because there is a huge difference between leadership and management. And I think as I've got older and more mature and closer to retirement, I've become more a leader than a manager. 
And I think that that has helped me really develop skills, particularly around listening, because I think that we often would have listened to respond as opposed to listen to understand. And I think now when I hear things, I say, well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's try and unpack that a little bit and tell me why you think that way. Uh, tell me what we could do differently or what can we do to help? So I think, yeah, I've changed because I think previously um, the management mantra was about getting uh, things right, whereas I think the leadership mantra is about getting the right things. So I think I've changed and I'm now more focused on, you know, doing the right thing as opposed to doing things right. Asking rather than telling and and, and that listening piece is 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 so important. I'd love at this point to ask both of you if you have questions for each other from everything that we've been talking about. Ian, is there anything you would like to ask Damien? Yes, and it's back over what you just shared, Damien, because I really believe in that transition between management to leadership. And I'll take a step further and say for me, it's about servitude leadership. So I'd really, I think I fall under that category, even when I was teaching and what I teach the next generation about business and the, and what it means to be a social entrepreneur yeah. is social impact requires servitude leadership. Yeah. And that's how you get transformation and transformational leadership, which yeah. is also leads to human centered leadership. So I would love your thoughts around how that fits into our conversation and the work that we have ahead of us. We uh, have been undertaking a leadership development program and it has four core themes around leadership, but one of them is relational leadership and it is very much that about servant leadership. I mean, I work with a, a senior team that I feel very privileged to be a part of and for a vice chancellor and Professor Paul Bartholomew that I love working for. And he's like me from an NHS background. And I think one of the things we carry forward is that concept of servant leadership, whether it's towards patients as it was in the NHS, students now in the university, but also all of it through our staff. Because you would never get good patient experience or student experience with a good staff experience. And we've got to create the conditions and the privileged roles that we have as senior leaders to allow people to give of their best and to create that psychological safety where people aren't afraid of not being successful the first time they try things. And moving away from that blame culture that sometimes exists in an organization that actually paralyzes people from trying things. So I absolutely agree that, you know, servant leadership to me is hugely important. And I think you can see in organizations, particularly those multinationals that perform well and have great reputations, it's because the people at the top see themselves in service to the rest of the workforce. And, you know, it's back to that old uh, John F. Kennedy story when he went to NASA and he asked the cleaner, what do you do? I'm putting a man on the moon. That's exactly how all organizations need to be because everybody is a component part of it. But you've got to make sure that your leadership style touches every part of the organization and penetrates every layer of the organization to get across the message that, you know, we're here to serve and we're here to serve you. Now, what's preventing you from doing your job better? Um, so that's part of my job and part of my mantra as chief people officer for Ulster University to make sure we create those leadership cultures that people feel empowered to realize that, you know, Leadership's more important than management because if you empower people, then not ten need to manage them that often, just lead them. Great answer. Thank you. And Damien, yeah. what question would you like to ask of Ian? Well, I'm almost fearful of running out of time because I have so many questions I wanted to ask her. Um, you mentioned about um, something that is really important to me as well here in Northern Ireland about uh, the abhorrent violence towards women and young girls. I mean, I just find it's incredibly um, sad uh, throughout the world. And, and I look even in our own place about how many 
uh, young women and, and girls that died in Northern Ireland in the last three to four years. It's unacceptable. And as a man, I feel, and as a father and a grandfather, I feel we must do better in that regard. But if I, if I were to ask you, Anna, what would you say would be the one thing we could do that would change that most significantly? What would yeah. be ask of me as a leader in an organization to, to do one thing to make that change significant? Love and acceptance. A lot of love. If there's the ways we've been treated uh, because of our intersectionality and, and I'm looking beyond current, the century, forget the century, I'm talking about throughout our lives, throughout our mother's lives, throughout mm-hmm. our grandmother's lives. This goes, it's generational. That's why I love doing intergenerational work. This is a very intergenerational um, challenge and issue. And I think what we need to do is create a space of love and acceptance and healing because like, we need healing as well from how we've been systemically made to believe in this narrative of the contribution and power that we have as women and girls. And whether it's healthcare, education, those are two spaces I'm very passionate about as well. And that we also set up programs for like um, developing countries where we're also really changing that narrative for women and girls there as well to say we are contributors to society. The world would not be where it is without women and coming into their cultures and using examples from where they are or their own experiences. You say you've got so many roles as a man in all these different women and girls' lives is really meeting them where they are, whether it's your family, whether it's your student, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's any encounters you have really looking at those lived experience and the historic things and narratives that they're dealing with so we can shift together because if you don't understand that lived experience and background and narrative it's hard to meet each other in where the different ways you're in thank you and i think damien as well it's it's back to that allyship it's it's more men speaking up and speaking up um and thank you yeah as responsible leaders what are you personally committed to doing more of or less of in the coming year i am holding myself back. I think and given all these different alignments and such, I need to stop holding myself back and really go forward with this. Well, very similar to Ian, I just want to get more involved and, and, and really lead from the front in our organisation and driving forward the whole agenda around uh, inclusivity and sustainability and making sure that everybody is able to come be themselves and give their part in that regard. And I just think we have so much more that we're capable of doing. It just needs people to continue to be unleashed and empowered to get on with it. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this wonderful edition of The Lens, where we've been looking at how employers can create a human-centred approach to people in the workplace. I want to say thank you to my guests, to Damien McAllister, Chief People Officer at Ulster University, and Ayan Saeed, founder of Voicing Voices. I look forward to whatever's next for both of you. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. If your business would like help with its diversity and inclusion development or support with building a human-centered approach within your workplace, please visit www.bitc.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next time.